0: Peace. Welcome to season three of Bootstraps. I miss you guys. Hopefully you guys are excited for this new season, as as excited as I am. And I wanted to share with you guys news. So since season two wrapped up, I've actually gone ahead and launched my own company. It's a new apparel company called 31st. That's spelled three zero F I R S T. You can check us out at 31st.com. And the brand in general is about the California lifestyle, so it's apparel inspired by the culture of California. And so this season is going to be an interesting twist where I'm going to give you guys a look inside at my journey as I build 31st and as we progress and move along. And while I talk with other entrepreneurs and business leaders to help tackle key issues that other entrepreneurs will face and that I'm facing along the way. So. Don't want to belabor the point. Let's get into it.
1: And Neff, and, and, and I'm going to jump in on that point, right? Because so you use the word scary and you use the word safe, and a bit of it is perception, right? Like
0: a hundred percent uh,
1: the perception that in the corporate job you're quote unquote safe, uh, and, and you've got unlimited upside, and right, you could just ride that into the sunset, and you're going to have that that landing i mean that's a bit of a misnomer right like a lot of folks have hit that ceiling um i've worked with folks that have come to me and said i've got nowhere else to go in my company i don't see that next step in corporate
0: peace 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 what's happening brothers welcome to another episode of bootstraps season three kicking off and i am super honored and happy to have you guys here so uh why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself before we get going. Uh, BJ, why don't you go first?
2: Sure. Uh, my name is BJ Jacobs, uh, originally from the DMV, um, a managing principal of Goshen Park Capital, which is my own entrepreneurial venture um, that I started about three and a half years ago. Uh, looking to acquire a business, own it, and operate it. Um, Prior to launching Goshen Park, I spent about 10 years in corporate America, uh, leading you know revenue strategy, profitability, all the things that, you know, nuts and bolts of building and driving a business. Um, but uh, prior to that, I had an entrepreneurial background coming out of school, out of undergrad um, went to Yale, played football, played football half of my life. So I can still say that, I think, yeah. uh, um, but me and a teammate of mine lost an uh, investment practice coming out of school, got some bumps, raised some money, learned a lot, and decided, hey, I, you know, this entrepreneurial thing is an itch I got to scratch. And I've been trying to figure out the right way to do it for the last 15 years or so. Um, and I've done that a few different ways, but also with Substance of Corporate America to try to, to finance that dream.
0: Got it. Respect it. I mean, I was thinking about throwing a Harvard dig in there, but I was going to let that ride. We'll <laughs> let you have your moment, leave that be. <laughs> all right so uh, yeah Jay Boogie tell everybody right. about
1: yourself uh, appreciate the invitation i glad to be with you here today my uh, name is Jason Brown aka Jay Boogie um, and I am managing partner of PGP Advisory we are an M&A Mergers and Acquisitions Advisory Firm uh, we help people buy and sell businesses and have been doing that for the last three or four years uh it, my journey to entrepreneurship started back in high school 20 some odd years ago um, where I got introduced to this concept of, of launching a business. I had never really been exposed to that before. Went through, worked in corporate for 10 or 15 years, um, always with an eye towards how to, how to build wealth um, and how to operate under my own terms. Uh, went to, to business school uh, with both of you fine gentlemen at that fine institution you have on your head now. blue. Uh, yeah, go blue, go blue. Uh, came out, worked in corporate development, so working on uh, big deals, and acquisitions in corporate. Family situation pushed me, and so I was launched into the entrepreneurial chair um, really out of, out of necessity and obligations around um, the family. Uh, I've been doing it for the last seven years, and right now it's with business, working towards putting more faces like ours uh, in the seat of business ownership. Uh, as a business owner uh, myself. so excited to be here as part of the conversation today.
0: that that's awesome. Um, and so I'm trying to think like how to dig into this conversation around entrepreneurship. I myself have put my foot into entrepreneurship um, a few different times and right now i'm I'm in with both feet um, building out thirty first um, which is, you know, a, a new brand that I'm I'm launching, and so it's gonna kind of interesting with Bootstrap this season. We're gonna be talking a lot about my personal journey as an entrepreneur with 31st. That's what the the season of Bootstraps is gonna be about, and we're gonna I'm gonna be trying to bring forward information that helps people um, kind of learn while they're on their journey. If they're considering entrepreneurship, do they find it interesting, or if they're actually Doing it, and need some guidance along the way. So I appreciate you two knowledgeable brothers coming and um, you know talking about it and being being willing to share kind of your perspective. One thing that's interesting for me is uh, actually I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna name drop a little bit. I had lunch with Stephanie Gallo, who um, from Gallo Wines, so I used to work for. Uh, I worked for them nine years ago, eight years ago. Um, but she and I have stayed in touch since I left and I just wanted to reach out to to pick her brain a little bit. And we had lunch a couple of days ago. And I was like, you know, I've already taken the leap. I'm, I'm doing the entrepreneurship thing. And she was like, you know, like this is it's where your energy is. And, and quite honestly, like she used this exact phrase that I use. She goes, It's time for you to put up or shut up. And that was kind of like an interesting. Like, it's, it's how I talk to myself, but to hear someone outside of my inner monologue, just put it bluntly. It's like, yeah, I get that it. it's scary, and you're afraid, and, you know, especially with my resume, like, you could run back to a really safe job somewhere, like, but you need to give this thing a shot. You have a lot of passion for it, so make it happen.
1: And, Neff, and, and and I'm going to jump in on that point, right? Because it, So you use the word scary and you use the word safe, and a bit of it is perception right like thousand percent uh, the perception that in the corporate job you're quote-unquote safe uh, and, and you've got unlimited upside and right you could just ride that into the sunset and you're going to have that that landing i mean that's a bit of, mis- of a misnomer right Like a lot of Facts. folks have hit that ceiling um, i've worked with folks that have come to me and said i've got nowhere else to go in my company i don't see that next step in corporate you know, what's next. So I think that's a good like we just gotta keep that in perspective. And then the riskiness of entrepreneurial ventures, you know, if you have the right team of folks, if you're plugged into the right networks, uh, it can be reduced. So at least the perception of that equation uh is is an important one to identify that it's not it's not really that clear cut or as clear cut as we like
0: that yeah. that's actually a great qualifier to keep it a buck. I mean, I've I've ran into that. A few different places in my career. Thankfully, my profession allows me to like then walk, just move to another company um, as a marketer. It's kind of you you could you could almost be dropped into any industry and kind of do your thing. Yeah. But there is I keep running into kind of this thing. You know, I, I won't won't go long, but I in a situation where I won marketer of the year, and that was a huge thing. Like. And While I was getting my annual review, in which it was a very positive review on paper, three quarters of the review was like negative nitpicky stuff. That was kind of, I just found that interesting, right? It's one of those things that like, is it safe? Because I, no I didn't feel safe in my job from that point forward, and I was already in a pretty senior position. I came off arguably the best year of my entire career. And this person just made a subjective choice to, like, make my annual review, even though on paper it was all positive. Like, this is what I'm going to focus on talking about. And what I'm talking about actually isn't even written up in your review anywhere. So it was kind of this, like, gaslighting situation where I was like, yo, I don't feel safe here at all. You know what I mean? Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. It's funny you mention that. I, I I can think of an experience when, like, that same safety issue, right? Like, I remember being launched further towards entrepreneurship, prior to business school, right? Like the reason why I applied to business school, primarily was because I saw myself doing more where I, you know, at more than what I was doing in my company. To come to find out the company that I was working for, you know, global organization imploded 15 days after I got into school, right? And right. F- that was the, that was the moment for me. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to business school and come right back to a situation like this. Like, <laughs> I got to have a little more control over my destiny. Um, so, it's just funny yeah. how you talk about that, even in terms of family. Like, like I remember a family where being as close as you are to DMV, like, how you make it is you get a good government job, you, you work your way through the rankings, right? You build your pension. Right. And, right. And, and, and then you start, you know, perhaps building government contracting, you know. To, to the government after that, but it's much later in career. And I think right. there's opportunities that we just don't talk about in our community.
0: Yeah, yeah. so that's, that, that's, that's so real. So, with that, I'm gonna kick it off and, and ask this, this question of defense to you wise fellows. Like, why, why aren't more Black people getting involved in entrepreneurship, given how greedy we are, how creative we are? Like, why are we not? Because, I mean, the, the two most important traits to succeed in entrepreneurship, or to love, not, then, I mean, having capital definitely helps, so we can get into that, but from an individual skill standpoint, separate from capital is grit, right, that, that determination and kind of persevere and then creativity to kind of constantly pivot and figure out creative solutions to business problems, so why, why do you guys think that um, more Black people are not getting involved in entrepreneurship?
2: Yeah, I think I'll start with that, like that perception piece of it is is so critical, right? And and part of part of that comes along with that is the tools, right? Like you gotta have some of the non-tangible tools to go along with it. Like we might have some grit, but unless you have access to people who can help you navigate those things, and I, I can be honest about myself, like I I didn't have that. Like I even though I'd had a a, a rather privileged background to to go to the places I've gone to and have the education I have. I still didn't build the networks or have the networks built in through either my parents or classmates to, to be able to just be like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go in and go to this bank and ask for this loan and start this business. And here's the documents right. I need to have. And right. some of my classmates actually did that, right? Like and, and were wildly successful doing that. Um and did not have the same education level education and, and other right, things. Like right, right. And so it's just like Excess and exposure is just, I, I think, two big, big reasons.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. Go ahead, Jay.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to piggyback at
1: that. So I think a portion of it is is—is the the exposure, a big portion of the exposure. I remember an experience. I was probably about 24, couple years under undergrad uh, in the corporate space. And one of my managers came up and he was like, you know what, Jay you know what you should do? You should go buy some equipment, set up shop down the block. And be a supplier to us, right? And it was we were doing government, commercial, uh, aerospace work, and we probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now And I had understood what he was actually putting out there. Right. And, and BJ, you're smiling, right? Because to be a supplier, a you know minority supplier to a, you know six hundred million dollar company. Uh, doing quality work, right? Like I knew how to do all that gritty stuff, right? I could project, I was right. project managing, I was setting up new infrastructure and managing suppliers, all of it, engineers. Um, and I didn't, had no clue as to what that meant. The question should have been, okay, will you fund me and, and mentor me through how to make that happen? I was so right. hyper-focused on how am I going to be successful at this job? And so there's a shift in the mindset as well as the access to somebody prompting and planting the seeds. So a lot of the work that we do, like what I get really passionate about is talking to 24 year old Jason, not only, hey, you go need to go do this, but here's the playbook, right? Like that's you make these right. things, right? This is the playbook, but this is the real playbook you need to yeah. be you know, put onto. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's
0: deep, especially, so there's, I think there's totally piggybacking. I'm not making a point you guys haven't already made, but it's kind of restating. It's like having the perspective Like this understanding like, yo, I can go do this thing. I don't have to get a job. I can go invest the capital and become a supplier, become a business owner and make money that way. And I think it's these two things that kind of play off of each other. Um, One is lacking the perspective to even think that way because our head is just down. Right. Go get an education. Go get a job. Go get education. Go get a job. I think the other piece is the comfort in asking other people for money. Yeah. Like raising raising capital from investors and saying, give me your money. I'm going to take your money. And with my skills and drive and grit and expertise, I'm going to turn whatever, however much money you guys give me, I'm going to multiply that by 10.
2: Yeah.
0: That's very foreign to us. And I think
2: I have my hypotheses
0: about where that comes from. But why do you think black people struggle with uh, asking folks for money? I'm asking you guys.
2: I'm going to share my opinion. I want to hear from you guys first. So I, I think I think the first part of it is you don't know what kind of questions you're going to get. And many times the questions are about your credentialing and your background and your your reason to be in front of them. Right. Like, why are you here? It's not because the great idea. And in fact, you hear so many stories about just the worst ideas are getting funded. Right. So, you know, there's something else at play. It's not just the smartest, the brightest, the greatest ideas. And you, I think we get a sense like, hey, there's like there's something there, either my credentialing whether it's school, places I've worked, etc., that, you know, I've got to go get first. And it's easy to get sort of stuck in that frame of thinking, right? About like, I got the credentialing, but I really want to leave those golden handcuffs, right? Right. Um, And and so I think that's like probably the safest first step for us. And it's been like that way since the beginning of time. Like people have said to us, like no one can take your education from, go get your education, right? You go to a big company, you go to that company, no one can take that away off your resume, right? And so it's how much credentialing do you need? And yep. I think sometimes it's hard to know what that balance is and whether that's the trade-off of going to get that credentialing first before you out and ask for money and what that process looks like. And are you plugged in the right networks? I think that's, that's, that's a tough balance to try to- Right.
0: But well, other people, only I completely agree, but when you start going into perspective. Other people with other backgrounds—they're not—they're not even carry the weight of that perspective. No, you know, they just go out. I mean, and this is this is this is not a dig at all. Like this is me playing back his words. Um, you know, Gary Erickson, who founded Bar, which is a company I used to work for. It came out of news a couple weeks, maybe a month ago or so, recently. Just announced the sale to Mondelez for two point nine billion. With a potential earnout to push that number into five billion plus, this is something he started with no business background, just a baker. He's a baker and an uh, endurance sport athlete, so he used to like cycle and hike and rock climb. Mm-hmm. And the products that were on the market weren't good enough, so he went back like I can bake a better bar. Went to his mom's kitchen, made a mess, figured out a recipe that worked, raised some capital, grew this thing from his mom's kitchen to he just exited three billion dollars
1: Wow, it's you know something to the the failure piece right like and it's something that that for our kids like it's really important to to raise them without fearing the failure piece right i think that's a piece that goes into asking people for capital what happens if i don't succeed um and we hear it all the time in the venture world I, i operate more with established businesses right but even in the venture world people bet on people Right, and so showing up and recognizing that that the result in your first deal, right, your first candy bar may not be exactly what you need, right, but being able to tell that compelling story so that people are going to continuously bet on you, uh, because both you and they know that you will land in the right spot, is is another piece of it, right. When you don't have security, becomes you know the security against the downside becomes much, 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 much bigger. Than any potential upside that that you can see, and, and that's how we walk into the room, right? So how do we yeah. how do we shift that, right? That's
0: I think yeah, that's a fascinating
1: think, question, right? Yeah, no,
0: it's spot on. So I'm not going to even add to it because I think between the the conversation we had the past couple of minutes, that really has gotten to like my opinion on it. I think a part of this perspective for training to the job, another part is it's spirit thing, and something that I've leaned into as I as I've launched thirty first, and it's like. I'm constantly working on this. I'm constantly, consciously working on this, which is fear and faith are in opposition to one another. So I've done the work, right? I've, I have been a top performer at every company I've worked at. Like I've just been able to do that. And from a credentialing standpoint, you start talking about the degrees I have on my wall, the companies I've worked at on my resume. To your point, BJ. I have proven to myself and my colleagues again and again from a credentialing standpoint that maybe I'm not the best ever, but I am a top performer. But then there's that fear piece that comes up all the time. I mean, I'm currently raising around right now. We have early success with 31st. And those of you guys who are listening right now, I'm going to do a shameless plug throughout this season. But if you haven't been to 31st.com, go check it out. Three zero F I R S T.com but we've had early success for 31st. We have people who have come to the store, they made purchases, they come back, they made repeat purchases, they told their friends, they follow us on social media. This is all without advertising. It's a very grassroots organic kind of I just wanted to see if there was a dare there. If people were willing to pay full price for this thing that had no celebrity backing at the time and didn't have a crazy advertising spend. And it's it's proven like people I've responded really well to the brand. We then expanded to a couple pop-up shops, and I want to see if I can do hand-to-hand sales with strangers, not my friends, people I don't know, and people who were strangers who walked into our booth, spent money, spent a good amount of money, and I was like, "Okay, that was further validation." So there's there's a there there. I still have to deal with fear while I'm raising this round. I'm like, wow, it's, there's fear to ask. Then a, a different fear kicks in when they say yes.
2: But it's almost like, yeah,
0: I'm coming in for X amount.
2: Yeah.
0: And then a different fear kicks in. And it's that fear of failure you're just speaking to, Jay. Someone who I just, I mean, I can't actually tell the number because that, was, I ran a really, really large business for Clif Bar, which is my last, my last full-time corporate gig. It was a massive business that was extremely complicated. It was I ran the whole country of Canada. We crossed multiple languages and totally different food regulations versus the U.S. So it wasn't like a, a plug and play. I could just take whatever we did in the U.S., copy it and do it there. I had to come up with my own playbook. It was just me and my team figuring this thing out. So I know that I know how to run a business quite well, a complicated business quite well. I still have fear come up. And someone's like, yeah, I'll have a check to you in three days. Hey, you know, and that's something that we need to work on.
2: Heavy Ab- 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 is the head that, you know, chose to wear the crown, right? Like,
0: right? Hey.
2: That, that fear is real. Right. Right? I mean, that that's fear right. is real when you're talking about other people's money. Right? No, real. Like, whether it's investors, whether it's, you know, friends, family, I think that is a very real fear that a lot of us bring. It's like, oftentimes, the folks who have the ambition to do the entrepreneurial thing or might have the credentialing or might have access or privilege or whatever, a lot of people are relying upon them too. Right. And you can't fail those people, let alone yourself. And I think maybe, maybe I'm, maybe the, the the fear of failure for oneself might be bigger than failing others. But I mean, it's real, right? Like there's food that needs to go on the table. There are bills to be paid. There, there are a lot of things that, that, I know in my life that work just upon me having a paycheck, um, right. and so um you can't understate that.
0: Either. Yeah, no, that's real. So, um and I think it's not as prevalent in our in our in a, the the royal week, right? If you look at the macroeconomic statistics broken out by cultural ethnic groups, right, like the median wealth of African-Americans is lower than media wealth of uh, just about every group except Latinos. I think we're about the same, playing from a wealth standpoint, plus or minus. But so that means in, in your network, when you ask people to invest, if, you're, if your network is predominantly
2: African-American,
0: then your investors are going to be predominantly African-American, or at least the people you can ask then in your network, there's going to be less capital available to invest. And there's going to be that risk of you need to make this work. Because if you don't make it work, the person who said yes to you, them giving it was a bigger deal than someone else. This is is just an extrapolation of macroeconomics. Statistics and saying that anecdot- Now, anecdotally, there might be exceptions to the rule. There might be black like, people that run in circles where everybody got a of bread and raising, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars is like nothing. You go to, you have a happy hour one day, invite some people, you walk away with two hundred thousand dollars in commitments. Cool. I still
2: want to get that. Yeah, I don't. I don't run. In, <laughs> right. I don't run in those circles unless <laughs> y'all hold out on me. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like so.
0: Um, but I, I still think there's a piece where we have to push beyond that here.
1: But, and and you know, to your point, Nef, there's there's something to the circle, right? A lot of businesses are going to fail. I mean, the, the reality is we are the exception to the rule, right? And I think part of this conversation, how, how do we shift that to become more of the rule than the exception? But if you don't have, and I've, I've been in ventures personally early on that failed, right? They flopped. And to your point, it hurt. There was no safety there. There was no going back, right? And you've got to start over. Uh, so there is something to having the right circle of people, the right circle of folks that have the experience, right, paying it forward, mentoring, um, because, yeah, the likelihood of somebody stepping up, identifying the right opportunity on their own without the right kind of circle of people to support and pressure tested is low. And, right, you're now messing with your money and, and the money of others who may or may not be in a position to to lose it. Uh, And so there is something to having the community, right? To having the circle of folks that can can support. I also just want to say like major props to you because you took your superpower, right? Of marketing and Mm. you're building a brand, right? You didn't decide I'm going to go out and try to become an expert in X, Y, and Z, in manufacturing, right? You said, all right, I've got something here that I'm the best at. Right. And and I'm gonna try to figure out how to make that, that work. Um, so I I give you major props.
0: I, I appreciate that. And that goes back to your point though of one thing I know intellectually to be true, and I try to be a logical creature, right? I try, but everyone has their emotions that kick in. But what I do know logically is when you invest, you invest in the CEO or the or the Founding team, but predominantly is the CEO. And so, if I'm going to go out and raise capital, people are going to be investing in me. If you're investing in me to open a restaurant and be the chef, you know what I mean. That, that's like incongruent. Like wh- what my or, what my superpowers are to use your term is is marketing and business strategy, right? Figuring out opportunities out there that are not where a percentage of the population that's not having their needs met and then bringing them something that meets their needs in a new and a unique way that's gonna add a lot of value. That's that's my skill. So I if I were if I were to start a company that didn't lean into that skill and they went asked people for money like it would be reckless on my part but also I'd be setting myself up for failure. So I at least wanted to mitigate the risk as much as I can, right? And like, all right, I'm gonna play to what I know. Like I'm playing on you know my home turf. And so as we kind of using that as a has a jump off to kind of move into, like, why? So there's all the reasons not to do it, which predominantly is um, lack of familiarity on on average. Like, it's just not something that's in our perspective. We're not raised to think about it. There's not a whole lot of CEOs kind of running around our community. Um, And then the other piece is fear. And I think fear... I believe is is the biggest driver ultimately that keeps people kind of trapped and they have this illusion kind of recapping the first half of this conversation that is illusion that their job is safe, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? It ignores the microaggressions that you deal with every day and that toxicity also ignores that at some point you're going to hit the ceiling, right? And you're going to be dealing with situations where you, Your knowledge and expertise is at a particular level, but your compensation is not. And that is, from a human psychology standpoint, we actually studied this in business school. It is really difficult to know that your performance is on par or better than someone else who's being paid more than you. Our brains are not wired to accept that. And so having to like, that's, that's MO, like 101, on one right? Yeah. Having to deal with that on a regular basis, like, is that really safe?
2: Yeah. So I, I, I think about that same problem. It's the same, same issue, maybe different, different words. I think about it in terms of just value, right? Like, and then maybe however you want to define value, whether it's get paid, whether it's like output, I feel like I'm, Making enough impact? Am I getting the most out of myself? Am I making the most impact in my community, on my family, what have you? Anytime someone feels like they're not getting the most out of themselves, in one way or the other, whether that's salary, providing for family, like intellectual stimulation, like, like you're going to check out, right? Like you're right. going to get frustrated. And there's only so many places. Like everyone, I, I believe that everyone has a unique ability, a set of gifts of something. Like you have to like steward that and cultivate that. But once you do that, and as you're doing that, there's only a certain so many environments that you can go out and and deploy those gifts, right? right. And sometimes that might mean a corporate gig, and people get well, many people get validation from those roles. Sometimes. There's not enough of those roles (laughs) for all the people with those gifts, right? And so you got to find another place to deploy those gifts. And so I think that's where a lot of folks find that frustration. It's like, you're not meant to be there, right? If you were meant to be in that seat that you covet, like you'd be in it or be on the track for
0: it, right? Right, right, right,
2: right. And so you got to create your own um, avenues. Right.
0: Right, and get over that fear, so then you go and create it. I mean, and that that pushes us to and this this point of like value, value creation. I think it's a big compelling piece, right? In in being able to as, as to why we should go be entrepreneurs. Not not everyone. Those of us who have that drive and inclination in us, and the only thing that's holding us back is fear. Like you need to make that move. I don't. I I am not one of the people. Like no one should have a job. No. 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 Like I think I don't know, most people probably should have a job. I don't I don't think everyone's cut out for entrepreneurship. Right. But if you have that burn inside of you, like you should go make it happen and not be controlled by fear. And because of it, and the big one of the big motivation motivations should be is value creation. Like if you look at the skill set you had, Jason, going back to that situation where um someone advised you to go become a supplier like set up shop down the street and be a supplier to us you had all the knowledge and you were creating all this value within the organization but if you stepped out with the exact same knowledge deploying your skills in the exact same way you're going to be able to create and capture value and that's the that's the other half of the equation that we don't think about like business is creating value and capturing value and in our job, we create a lot of value, but we didn't put up any of the capital. So what we capture is our salary. Yeah. But if we take the risk, right, and we start our own company and we create this value, now it's a lot of risk, but you get over that risk and you get to where you, you're creating value and then you start to capture value. The ratio that you capture is going to be great it's going to be much more beneficial to you. I mean, I took a non-existent, a quick anecdote, I took a non-existent e-commerce business that was a subset of this larger business I was running. It's like, oh, yeah, we need to be in an e-com. And so I had a, an idea where I wanted the business to be by 2023. I think it was the benchmark. So then there were things that I started doing in 2018. And no one was doing these things. So I did those things. I took a non-existent business and I took it, the thing we got is like $300,000 doubled down on, on the positive learnings. We got it to a million the next year, doubled down on those learnings, expanded, took it from one to like 2.5, 2.4 and then doubled down on those learnings. And then we got this really large base of uh, grew it to nearly a $5 million e-commerce business from next to nothing. And then I know what the profit is that comes off of that. And I know that that value was created by me. But it was created by me leading a team using someone else's assets. I didn't own those assets. So what I captured was just my salary. Yep. And then the profit from that business was considerable. It was, it was more than my salary. The profit from that e-commerce business alone was more than my salary. So if you look at the benefit, you know, when we start talking about creating value, DJ, when we deploy what we know. To build a successful business, the return yeah. is—I don't even know—it's uh, the infinitesimal. It's like it's infinitely yeah. great. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because yeah. 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 that, that verge, go ahead, Jason. No, no, I was going to say it's exponential. So, in my seat, right, I talk to a lot of business owners every day, and and I have an opportunity to kind of listen to their story and their journeys of how they get to the point where they're making significantly more than people in, in corporate America. And the point is like, they're not necessarily smarter than anybody else, right? They've gone out and, and done it. And, and what I encourage folks to do uh, in terms of you know, getting into entrepreneurship is, is that that cycle, that, that you mentioned about learning, right? Like where's the value? You may not get it exactly right off the bat, but the speed at which you learn and adapt, right? I think that's where the grit comes in. Right. clarity around where is the value and then grit to, and persistence to get after it and the ability to learn constantly, like right? what do I need to be doing to adapting? And when you see it, right? When you see that next step, then you go all in, right? You go all in and to that next step, all in and keep keep moving. Um, but it's this virtuous cycle of value creation that when you're in the driver's seat, when you're the person that is in, in the equity position, when you hold the keys to the... Uh, to the car and you figure out which direction it is. it's It's to your point, right? There's, there is no, <laughs> there's no top end. And then what does that look right. like in terms of generational wealth creation? Right? Like that's the part that gets me really excited. You know, what does that look like for kids and kids, kids and the community more broadly if that model is done at scale? Man.
0: Right. Like, yeah.
1: Transformational right
2: there. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. and that, I mean, which, which goes to, uh, you know, the, that's another one of the benefits. So there's like the, the wealth creation or the value creation so you, to, to keep it consistent. You create value, then you capture value, yep. right? And there's going to be individual benefits of being able to capture value. But then the multiplying effect of having created and captured that value is there's not just your um, family, Right, that you're gonna be able to pass stuff onto, which is a really big motivator for me is being able to pass on intergenerational wealth. But then there's also the other stakeholders in the community. Right? Like I look at going back to the cliff bar example. You get different people who look at it different ways, right? And some people are upset that the company just sold. Yeah. But I'm like, yo, the company's around for 30 years. So for 30 years, I know what our benefits were having at work there 30 years people got paid really well and had really good benefits like not that all maybe all, all the benefits may not have been there the entire 30 years but they were there for a good chunk for example there was base camp which was um, preschool in childcare for parents with young kids so you wouldn't have to take your kid to another location you would drive them to work and they were trained licensed professionals It was a full on preschool that was set up yeah. adjacent to the to the office. And then it was subsidized. So you end up paying, I don't have kids, so I don't know what the exact number is, but I know it's highly subsidized. You paid considerably less than what you would have paid for preschool elsewhere. Yeah. Way more convenient. Anything happened with your kid, they got sick, any type of thing happened, you walk over 100 yards, and they're your kids. You don't have to get in the car and go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But then it's also a lot less. There were sabbaticals every seven years you got a two-month vacation fully paid. So you got your vacation every year. Then if you're there seven years, they're like, you created so much value for the company, you deserve eight weeks off fully paid. So you just up and travel for eight weeks without you don't have to dip into your savings. Your income is just still coming in. There's all this long list of benefits that were created. These benefits were created through Kit and Gary's kind of vision and what they prioritize imagine an after American community
2: yeah. you're, right? you're when 31st about is community. wildly
0: successful yeah go
2: ahead yeah, yeah you're, you're talking about creating community right that that's two people's vision for what they wanted to create for you know a, a setting where people could feel whatever they wanted to feel whether that's love supported encourage what have you, right And right. We really have those different needs and how how do we give back to the communities that raised us in a way that we wish we had, it's to create these communities, right? Like, it's to use those resources, not just to enrich ourselves, to create spaces for people who can use their gifts in a way
0: that can continue that that flywheel process, right? Um, thousand percent. My definition of success for 31st is not me buying a private jet. My definition of success is me being able to employ people at a level, at an income level, where they could sustain a family. Yeah. If I can have employees who are making enough money from working for me that they could sustain a family, then I'm successful. And thirty first is successful. That's that's how I think about it. Then you continue to scale that, and that's what used to like run through my mind. You know, when I was actually running the Canadian business unit for Cliff Bar, I was like, "Wow, this is a beautiful thing." And this is. I I would look around, I would see the people coming to or from work every day and the kids that were benefiting from the parents working there. It was just this whole kind of ripple. And then everyone was encouraged. You got paid to volunteer at different community organizations. Now, the company was underrepresented from a a Black standpoint, so it wasn't a lot of Black people that there was benefiting from that. But if you think about us as entrepreneurs, if we take the risk of creating our own thing, creating that value and then capturing that value, we then get to set up companies that build community around us. And I mean, we do create as as a our ingenuity as a culture is pretty impressive. Like, you know, you, you can you, I can just rattle off like Jordan's, right? Like Nike owes Jordan everything, right? Because Jordan like saved them and look who then has sustained it. And then when, when they want to go on the golf, like they, Nike Golf was built off of Tiger Woods. You look at, I mean, it's an old story, but that. on my, my first marketing jobs. I worked with a company that started uh, St. Ives. I
1: don't know if you guys know St. Ives,
0: which did not do, I'm not going to say anything, because I don't want to, you know, I ain't trying to deal with those lawyers, but you guys know St. Ives. And by, when I got a job at the company that I already sold St. Ives, but I went back and found a real that was sitting in the file cabinet in the marketing department. And they worked with every rapper, West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, down south, they all made a commercial. And because we, we our culture, our rappers, co signed this alcohol, then everyone rocked with it. Right? So, like, we're creating value, we're not capturing value. Yeah. And capturing value in a way which we, then we can go back and build community. To where folks can have good, decent jobs. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. Good jobs, kids who are going through the daycare program, that are eventually going uh-huh. to schools, they're eventually going,
0: scholarships,
2: going to colleges, right? And, and for 30 years, I'm sure they saw that process happen with so many families, right?
0: A thousand percent. They gave scholarships to folks and then kids, people who worked there, their kids finally grew up, got old enough. Then came an intern there in the summer when they were an undergrad, getting their feet underneath them, kind of figuring out what they want to do with their life and kind of building their resume.
2: Yeah.
0: I know I wasn't <laughs> at 18, 19, 20. I wasn't knowing that I can go intern and really build my resume out. Like summertime I was like, all right, because I went to school in the Bay. I was like, I'm going back to LA. I'm about to get active. You know what I mean? I'm about to be out here in these LA streets just having fun. Well, they had a place where people in undergrads can come and intern. And it was all consciously thought out. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I bring that up, you know, like I said, there are some, some people celebrate, some people are upset about it. But I look at it like, first of all, invested 30 years. Started this thing in this mom's kitchen. Took on the risk and the stress of starting this thing. What a great moment to be like, yeah, you know, I started this thing in my mom's kitchen. and. I just sold it for $3 billion, A. But then B, all the people who benefited across those 30 years, all the scholarships that were given out across those 30 years, all the donations to charities that were given out across those 30 years, it's considerable amount of money yeah. was given out. So we it's, could be in those same situations.
1: It's, it's interesting, right? As I think about building out teams, as I think about the structure of, of how my business operates, I, I, I find that in the, the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, I, I just naturally look at building that because I inherently believe as a value that having multiple perspectives builds a better business, right? And I've worked in a world where I've had to learn to deal with perspectives that didn't align with my own and values that didn't align with my own, and figure out how to make it work, right? So. There is something real powerful about being in the seat of creating the culture, of creating the narrative, of demonstrating you know, one of the competitive advantages, like one of one of the things that we bring to the table in addition to creating the culture is that, you know, we just see things a little bit differently. Uh, we can see those opportunities where others, others can't. And, and what does the world look like when, you know, like I get up every day thinking about how am I going to create opportunity for women in my, my organization? because it's the right thing to do. Like, I'm not a woman. I need that perspective to be most effective and deliver value for my customers. And I recognize and understand what it means to be on the other side of that uh, equation. So uh, <laughs> I think I think that
0: empathy naturally comes from our experience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what it's like to be other. Yep. We know what it's like to where it's like, oh, it's clear. You're, you're not saying the words. But it's clear I've jumped through every hoop, and you're still not letting me be a part of the team, right? Yep. yep. So then, when you're in, when you're in charge, you're not going to other, yep. other people, whatever, wherever you fit on the intersectionality map. And I was driving down the street, me and so my best friend is a woman, and so back back from a little technical glitch. So the the point that I was making is, you know, my best friend is a woman, and she has uh, three and a half year old child. And she's great at what she does. It's a high paying corporate profession. And she's dealing with this struggle of I don't want to sit at home and be a mom all day. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to work 50, 60 hours a week and the ladder like I used to. And I'm like, yo, like hearing it wasn't the first time I heard that conversation wasn't the first time I had the thought kind of bounced around in my head, but just like seeing it again for the nth time, I was like, I am absolutely committed to with 31st when we get to a particular scale, we're going to create permanent part-time positions where you can work 20, 25, 30 hours, and we're just going to scale your salary in proportion to, if, if 40 hours is considered full-time and you work 20, then we're going to you 50% of your salary but then you're also going to have full benefits and whatever, whatever. And the job is not going to be seasonal or a contracted job or temporary. You're, you're going to permanently have that job. Yeah. You know, you're know, you going to be a part of the team in a very permanent way um, so that you can have that quality of life. I mean, what we've seen with the pandemic too, like people are so much more efficient and, and happy when they're allowed to have that flexibility in their work as opposed to being shackled to your desk 40 hours a week, nine to five, at this one central location that you got to get up and commute waste money on buying more clothes and, and, and uh gas and whatever like if you're gonna buy clothes you need to be buying 31st gear not you know <laughs> corporate gear nah but for real though like yeah. the 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 serious point is i think it's because i've been othered. yeah I, I can hear a woman talking about that that pain and that tension and it's like yeah i'm gonna make sure that women in my company don't experience that
2: and that, that creates
0: the
1: win-win go ahead, go ahead.
2: yeah no, I, I i think we're at a critical point in our economic history right uh as a country i think as a, as a global economy even we're at this reckoning place right there's so much volatility and there's so much change that's happening at one time and people's eyes are opening to change caused by the pandemic caused by societal impacts a lot of different things happening in the world politically and people are starting to realize like it's not about productivity, right? It's about impact and there's a lot of different ways you can have impact and a lot of more people you can bring in to have inclusive impact. And so I think there's just this massive shift that's happening, you know, in, in terms of work and not just workers rights, right? But like, how do we ha- get the most impact out of workers and instead of just being like 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, right?
0: Um, right yeah. that that is yes that is a, and it's an old, old out-of-date model that's really focused on power and not about impact or success
2: yeah, yeah. Industrial, right. in, industrial you know era hangover right like it's right. Just old, old habits that we just haven't grown past
0: yeah so to, to wrap things up so for me what given where i'm at with 31st or any other entrepreneur that's out there, what advice do you have for folks who are starting out as entrepreneurs? Maybe, maybe this this take let's take me off the off the list because I've, I've already made my, my leap and I can reach out to you guys for a very specific question um, that I may have. Someone who's out there who's looking to get started on the entrepreneurial path, they have an idea they have the skills, they, they know what they need to do to do it, but they're afraid. Any advice you'd have for them to, to overcome and how to mitigate and manage that fear?
1: So I mean, I, I'll, I'll go real quick. I have a lot of these conversations each week, and, and always starts with with the why, right? So I have a lot of conversations. I'm a strategy guy too, right And it starts to me with the why what's the motivation what is that inner desire you mentioned a couple times there? like when you have it on the inside and it's something that won't let you go i mean there has to be something intangible inside you that is pulling you in in that direction um and so just getting people clear in their minds as to what's what's motivating and pushing them into the direction of the entrepreneurship so what's the why then there's the, the how there's different ways of going about it right you got the idea you can start it from scratch. You can buy and build. There's a bunch of different ways to go about doing it, and so having informational interviews, starting to build your knowledge base on on how, allows you to de-risk it, and ultimately you need accountability folks in your life, right? So you need that that person that's gonna be like uh, the uh, the the mentor you mentioned earlier, who's like you know put up or shut up, right? At a certain point, you've planned. Facts. Right? If you've done everything you need to do. Your money's right. You're good enough. Right? And it's, am I going to do it or not? And I remember the, the, the reckoning moment where, <laughs> where it was like, you know, either you're going to put up or, or shut up. And so, uh, but I think it, t- it really does require support. Like, I, I will never sit up here and say that one person on their own should go take this on. Like, you need the community. I have you, brothers. I've got, you know, we've got our groups that we're in, that support circle. That you're gonna get hit in the gut, right? Like anybody who tells you you're not on, on the journey, you're not gonna get hit in the gut. You're not gonna fall, is not telling you the truth, right? So building out that that network and that community that's gonna support you and hold you accountable to delivering on on what it is that's burning in you. So um, yeah. that's my advice to, to entrepreneurs out there. Make it happen.
0: Yep. Yeah. No, I, I dig it, and I completely agree. Like it's it's going to be hard, but also to the point you made earlier. It's an illusion that just just saying in corporate America is going to be easy. Absolutely. It's going to be hard in different ways. So you want to be hard on your own terms.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Bootstraps. In all honesty, Bootstraps couldn't exist without you as a listener. So please do us a favor Go on over to where you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show. Leave us a good rating if you like the show and share it with your friends on social media, text message, email, wherever it is that you uh, connect and share cool content from the Internet with your folks. And remember, until next time, it's not about being perfect. It's about being better than you were
2: yesterday. Peace.